today we are going to be doing another off the cuff. If you're not familiar with this segment, what it consists of is I pick a passage of scripture and I read through that passage of scripture and then I simply talk about it without having anything prepared in advance. So I don't have any main points or illustrations prepared. I'm just picking a passage of scripture, reading through it, and talking about it. So the passage of scripture we have today is Joshua chapter 2. So this is after Moses has passed away, and the Israelites have been wandering in the desert for 40 years um, because they weren't allowed to enter the promised land yet. And so Moses just passed away, and Joshua has now succeeded Moses as the leader of the Israelites. And this is where we come into Joshua chapter 2. And this chapter is the story of Rahab. And Rahab is one of the only women mentioned in the line of Jesus. So she's pretty significant. And I want us to look at uh, where Rahab comes from and understand why it is that uh, she was so important in history. So again, Joshua chapter 2, let's begin at verse 1. Says then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So Joshua is sending these spies to Jericho, and this is the same Jericho where later they would march around that city several times and then it would fall to the ground. That's the same place. So Joshua is sending the spies there, and they go to stay with Rahab, who is a prostitute. Now, if you're thinking of the line of Jesus and what kind of people would be in the line of Jesus, you probably wouldn't think a prostitute would fall into that category. But that was Rahab's profession. So it wasn't Rahab's profession that made her so significant. It's what she does and the things that she says in this chapter coming up. But first we see that the spies stayed there with her. Then verse 2, it says, The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So here the king uh, receives word that the spies have come into the land, which kind of shows that they weren't very good spies, I would say, if they got found out this quickly. Um, but that very day, somebody lets the king know there's spies in our land, and this is where they're staying. They're staying with Rahab. So he sends a message to her to bring her out. So, of course, Rahab is in quite a predicament here. 
because if she doesn't produce the men, if she doesn't bring forward the men to the king, then the king would, you know, punish her and probably kill her for not bringing them out. But for whatever reason, which we'll see later on, she chose to instead hide the men and lie to the king and say, you know, they already took off, go after them, you might be able to catch them. And uh, in actuality, she had hidden them up on the roof. And I love that picture of uh, <laughs> the spies just hiding under these stalks of flax that are uh, laid out on the roof. And I don't know why they weren't discovered that way. I don't know if um, the guards that came to Rahab didn't go investigate on the roof or, you know, they just kind of took her at her word. I don't know, but somehow this worked that they're just hiding under these stalks of flax. And I just, I love that imagery. I don't know why it, it's uh, so funny to me. But she lies to them, and they go out. They believe her, um, which is probably the first um, of a couple characteristics of Rahab that are uh, noteworthy and... Uh, Noble, I would, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Noble characteristics of Rahab. That she, first of all, didn't want these spies, these men who had come into her house, to be killed. Because if she did, you know, bring the spies before the king, they would probably have been killed. And so she instead puts her life on the line for the sake of two people that she had never met before today. For two complete strangers, she is willing to put her life on the line. And I don't know how many of us would be willing to go so far for someone that we didn't know. But Rahab was willing to do that. And uh, not only was she willing to do that, but she was capable enough to tell this lie to the guards and convince them that uh, the men weren't there anymore. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, Scripture is definitely against lying. You know, it's in the Ten Commandments not to bear false witness to your neighbor. Um, and there's uh, many verses that highlight the importance of honesty and yet Rahab is in a position where she is telling a lie to uh, protect the Israelites. And that's something that we could argue on whether or not it was righteous of her because she was doing it for the sake of God's people, or if it was something she shouldn't have done. And I think that can kind of highlight when you see someone that's a new believer, a new Christian, and they really want to do the will of God, they want to do what is right, but sometimes they do wrong things in an attempt to try to set their lives straight. And I, I can't think of any examples of that right now. Um, but to use an example I, I'm just thinking of now, if you have someone that wants to help people who don't have food, and so they go into the grocery store and they steal a bunch of food from the grocery store to take it to people who don't have food, 
you know, that's an example of somebody that has noble intentions, but they aren't carrying it out in the proper way. And it's one of those cases where, you know, the ends don't justify the means. And sometimes you have uh, new believers who do things like that, where, you know, they're still rusty. And, you know, we, we still, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that sometimes people who have been followers of Christ for a long time, that have set such a high bar for their own life, Sometimes we forget that when somebody just newly comes to faith in Christ, that that doesn't mean that their life is going to turn around on a dime that instant. It's a process of change slowly taking place in their life for them to become more like Christ. And for those of us who are more veterans of the faith, we have to remember that. Remember that that's a process that takes time and encourage people as they're going through that process and help them with it. That really is the responsibility of kind of the elders of church. And I don't just mean the elders in the uh, positional sense of a church that has elders. I mean just people that have been in the church longer, people that have um, been Christians for a longer period of time, that is their responsibility to find those people that are new believers, take them under their wing, and say, look, I know you want to serve Christ, and this is all new to you. Let me show you the right way for, uh, for you to move towards that. And I would say that Rahab needed a little bit of that in her life, where Maybe it wasn't best for her to lie to these people, even if it was for the intention of saving their lives. Um, but she didn't have somebody to take her uh, under their wing. So this is what happened. So just a couple of thoughts there. Let's continue on with verse uh, 8. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now this is a passage that I really wanted to get to, this part of the passage. Because in the Old Testament, you are dealing with the same God of the New Testament. And I think too often people try to separate those two and think, well, in the Old Testament, God was very judgmental and, you know, hellfire and brimstone, all of that against people, the God of judgment. And then the God of the New Testament is all about love and forgiveness and acceptance. 
And that's really not the case. You know, Scripture tells us God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand the importance of the judgment of God and the things that he did in the Old Testament and and why God allowed or and, and even sometimes commanded his people, the Israelite people, to go and do things that we today would see as atrocious, that is inhumane, no one should do that. How could God possibly command his people to go and kill others and, and destroy cities and kill the men and the women and the children and the livestock and wipe them out completely how could god do things like that you know how could god allow pharaoh's heart to be hardened that led to him you know chasing down the egyptians and his, him and his army was uh destroyed in the red sea as the waters came back together like how how could god do things like that and I think when we are hearing Rahab's words in this passage, it helps us to understand why. Because this was a time before Jesus' sacrifice that allowed people to be reconciled with God. And that's part of why God gave the Israelite people prophets so that he could speak to the prophets that were anointed to be his spokespeople that he would give the word to the prophets that would then speak God's words to the Israelites' people. God had to do things that way because of the great separation between him and the rest of the world due to the sin in all of mankind. That was the era this was taking place in. So people did not have that personal relationship with God. They could not go in to God's presence and speak with him. Uh, that was something that only the priests were able to do during certain times where they could step into the holiest of holy places in the temple to be in God's presence and speak with him. So there was this great disconnect between God and the rest of the world because the price of sin had not yet been paid. And so it was very difficult for people to understand who God was. And this was the same culture that um, all, all across that area would worship idols, worship false gods made out of stone or wood or clay. They would raise up these false gods that really didn't have any impact on their life. So, with all of that context in mind, Look at the reasoning behind Rahab's actions with the spies. She rescues the spies because she knows that the God of the Israelite, of the Israelite people, is the one true God. That all the other idols that people serve are false gods, they're imaginary, they have no power, they have no existence. But the Israelites' God is the true God. And how does she know that? She knows that because of the signs that have been done. That, the, that God did dry up the Red Sea for his people to walk through. That they were able 
God was able to free his people from the Egyptians. And he took his people and took down two of the wickedest kings that lived. And those Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, the wickedest kings of that time, the Israelite people were able to completely destroy them. So all of these things that God did that we today have a tendency to say, well, I don't understand why he would allow things like that to happen. God allowed it to happen, one, because they were his people, the Israelite people were his people, he made a covenant with them, and he promised to protect them, and that's what he was doing. He promised to lead them to this promised land, that's what he was doing. And in order for him to fulfill that promise of their covenant, there were obstacles, people on the way, that needed to be cleared out of the way for the Israelite people to survive and thrive. And because God so protected the Israelite people in that way, because God gave them favor and direction to destroy their enemies, people like Rahab were able to see all that the Israelite people were doing and recognize that there was more to it than just them. That the only reason it was possible was because the God that they served was the one true God. So when the Israelite people came to stay with her, she wanted to protect them. She wanted to protect the people who God was protecting. That is why she hid them, and that is why she was uh, able to stand up against the king's messengers when they came. So she just said all of this, uh, and then she continues on in verse 12. She says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. So there we see she's not only being uh, merciful and showing kindness to the spies, she's also thinking about her family as well. This is someone who was always thinking of people beyond herself. Uh, She says, Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. So now she's pleading for her family that when the Israelites come and destroy the city of Jericho and the people of Jericho, which she fully believes will happen because she has heard the stories of the things that God has done. When that happens, she asks that her and her family be spared. Verse 14, Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So they're saying, yep, we'll do that. Verse 15, So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now, that's that's also important when you think of it culturally, because um, the further in to the city you were, the further you were into the center of the city, the usually the higher social standing you had and the more protection you had. That's why they would send beggars to 
the city gates or outside of the city gates to beg from people as they came in, or people who had diseases, uh, leprosy, were sent outside of the city gates to beg for money. So the outcasts were further um, from the center of the city. So the further from the center of the city you were, the greater of an outcast you were, essentially. Um, and so Rahab, as a prostitute, lived on the outer wall. But that gave her the opportunity that she needed to be able to protect these men by lowering them outside of the city wall through her window. Uh, verse 16, she said to them, go to the hills so the, so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. So this is interesting because the spies were coming into the city to spy out the land and get information. Rahab, as a native of this land, knew it well enough to be able to tell them to go into the hills, hide there for three days. Uh, she knew her people well enough to know that that would be long enough for them to hide so that they could eventually go back and be with the Israelite people. So she's giving them the inside scoop on how to avoid the patrols there. Or, or not the patrols, but the pursuers. Uh, verse 17. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear." Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So they give her the instruction, put the scarlet cord on the window. And this is uh, really cool because this is after, obviously, the Israelites have been led out of, Jesus, uh, out of Egypt, as I mentioned. And so in that process of the Israelites being led out of Egypt, you had the ten plagues. And the final of which was where the angel of death came and killed all of the firstborn um, in Egypt. And the way that the Israelites uh, were spared from the angel of death was by taking the blood of a lamb and painting that blood on the doorposts. And so when they have her um, tie the scarlet cord to her window, that red cord, uh, it, it really matches in symbolism to what happened when the Israelites were back in Egypt. So that's just kind of uh, a cool comparison between the two. So then you might ask, well, well, why do they have her do this at all? Why do they say your family has to be in there and you have to tie the scarlet cord to the window? Why are they having her do this? And even saying that if she doesn't, then they aren't bound to their oath, and if, if her family is killed, then it's on her own head. Well, that's because battle is chaotic. And when the walls of Jericho come down, when the Israelite armies go in and attack, you're going to have 
that whole army besides these two spies who have never met Rahab before. And even the two spies who have never met her family before. So they have no way of knowing who is an enemy and who is Rahab or her family. So the reason they have her do this is just a very practical reason of saying, look, we can instruct our army that, uh, well, we can first inform them of what you've done for us and then instruct them not to lay a hand on anyone in the house that has the scarlet cord above the window. And then that whole army knows, uh, you know, not to do that. So as long as her family is in that house, they will not be harmed. So that's why they have her do this and tell her, you know, if, if you don't do that, then we can't be held responsible because everything else is going to get crazy. Um, so she agrees to that, and then continuing in verse 21, it says, So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua son of Nun and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So, all the instructions that Rahab gave the spies was accurate. Um, her instructions to stay in the hills three days allowed them to make it back to Joshua. And then we have this this line that they tell Joshua that the Lord has given the city into our hands. We know this because they are melting with fear. And there, there is different kinds of fear of the Lord. So there's different passages of Scripture that talk about having a fear of the Lord. And usually what that fear is talking about is just a, a respect of who God is, understanding that He is the judge of our souls, and so we need to, you know, uh, be respectful of him, be respectful that he is the creator of all the universe. He is the creator of us. He sits on the throne. What he says goes. That's usually what scripture is talking about when it's talking about the fear of the Lord. It's just that kind of that respect of who God is. But this is a different kind of fear. The people of Jericho were melting in fear because of the Israelite people. And this is a fear of, um, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? I want to say retribution. But it, really just a fear of judgment, a fear of condemnation. That's the word I was looking for. A fear of condemnation. They know that you don't miss, mess with the Israelite army. That the people the Israelites go up against, don't. it doesn't turn out well for them. They're defeated by the Israelites. And so they're fearful of their own lives because of this. And really, this is just a testament of the power of God. That God didn't just sit back on his throne and say, well, let's just see what happens. Right? He protected his people 
He gave them direction so they could have victory. And because of the power and guidance that God provided the Israelite people, it allowed even people who did not fear God at all up until this point to now have the fear of God in their life because they recognize that God is real. The Israelites' God means business, and we don't want to mess with him. And not only does that do the whole psychological warfare of, you know, they are now going to be fearful of the Israelites and have a more difficult time fighting them, but also for the Israelite people to hear, look, we weren't sure what this land was going to be like, what the people were going to be like, and we know that God has promised this land to us, but we went to check it out to get more information. And when we checked it out, we discovered that they are already scared of us. And that will help us immensely in the battle. So then that boosts the morale of the Israelites to go in and do, um, do what God is leading them to do of taking the city of Jericho. So this is the story of Rahab. She knows that the Israelite God is the one true God. So when Israelites show up, she is willing to stand against her culture, her people, in recognition of the one true God and protect the Lord's chosen people because she knows just as all of her people, that that God, the one true God, is powerful enough to be deserving of fear and respect. And that led her to protecting God's chosen people. So there's really not a whole lot we can take away from that story today, but there there is some pieces of that. And so some of the things I want us to walk away from this story with is one for those who have been in the church for a long time. They've been believers for a long period of time. To remember that those who are new believers, they're going through a process. And we need to be supportive of them in that process. Another takeaway from this is understanding that the judgment of God and the things that he did in the Old Testament was part of the testimony of who he was. That was part of the witness of God. And we need to be respectful of that as well. We need to understand that God is so much more than just love. And I forget who it was who said it, but somebody said, you know, some are one by love and some are one by fear. In other words, if you're trying to witness to people, you're trying to, you know, spread the gospel message of the forgiveness of sin, for some people, they will accept Christ because of the great love that God has for them. For other people, they'll accept Christ because of simply being too fearful of the condemnation and wrath of being on the side against God. Um, and that's something that we have to remember as well. And then, of, of course, uh, third and probably foremost is that we need to keep that healthy fear of God in our own life and recognize that 
God does sit on the throne. He has the final say of what is right, what is wrong. He knows what is best. He knows what's best for us. And our greatest wisdom is foolishness before his all-knowing characteristic. And that's something that we also need to remember. So again, this is the story of Rahab. I hope you were able to take things away from it. And this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. I encourage you to share it with family, friends, and on social media. And if you have any questions or comments about any of this or about any other topic, you can always contact me through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. So until next time, uh, have a wonderful week, and I pray that God will bless you. Thank you again. Thank you.